You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Rick and Sean. We wanted to talk about almost like a checklist for your Kickstarter campaign. We see certain things being missed on on a regular basis. And, you know, when you're in the throes of preparing for a Kickstarter, I totally understand how you might miss certain things, but there are some that are more important than others. And so we wanted to talk about like the fastest ways to fail your Kickstarter campaign and, or of course, GameFound at whatever campaign you're doing and kind of how to avoid those mistakes. And hopefully by the end of this podcast, you can have a little bit of a checklist of the ascent, what we consider the essentials that we see our clients miss all the time. Now, one thing I'll qualify is that I am going, I'm not going to talk about the basics, like have a good product. I'm going to assume that you know that you should bring a crowd to fund. And we're going to talk about like the next level of crowdfunding mistakes that creators make. You know, you've you've got a good product. You have been working on it for a long time. It's well play tested. And you're going to bring the baby that you've been working on for a long time to Kickstarter or to GameFound or whatever pledge or whatever uh, crowdfunding platform you're using. And, you know, I have seen people work so hard to get there and fail on the launching platform or just vastly underperform what I thought that they could have what they could have done. And it's simply because of several of these mistakes we're going to be discussing. So, yeah, so we, we've had some, some clients who've sort of launched and they've had to uh, relaunch. So we want to give creators a checklist of, you know, here's five things that you need to make sure that you have or have not done before launching. And so you can t- tick them off and then you can say, okay, I'm, re- I'm ready to launch. So that's really the, the, the basis of it. I think the, the number one thing is to, and this has happened twice now, is to make sure that you do not put your shipping inside of your pledge. Uh, within You don't charge shipping in the pledges of Kickstarter, that you have a pledge manager. I think sometimes when people set up the Kickstarter for the first time, they might accidentally put shipping in there, and then they forget to change it before they go live, and then they launch their project. And suddenly they've got shipping on their pledges, which you cannot change and have been forced to shut down their, their campaigns as a result. So that's, that's probably one of the biggest ones. Make sure you don't charge shipping in your pledge. Is there anything else, Andrew, within the, you know, before you make your project live that you cannot change once the campaign is actually pushed out? Yes. So there are a couple of things, but to kind of chime in on that, why don't you want to add your shipping to your pledge? Some of the things we're going to talk about are really about more about the consumer's behavior on the Kickstarter platform. And so if your game is $49, but you also are charging $15 for shipping, then they are going to see um, $63 or $64 uh, to, to make that pledge. A $63 bite out of their disposable income for that month is a lot bigger of a chunk than $49, especially when you talk about the mindset of a consumer buying a you know $49 product versus a $64 product. In fact, I just had this conversation today with one of our with one of our clients where they had a um, they actually had an edition of their game that they really wanted to hit forty nine dollars for their pledge level, and they wanted to hit uh, you know they have a deluxe edition of their game, and they they are you know doing things right they they weren't putting their shipping into their pledge level, but really it's so much about the the offer right like the offer is you get my product for this amount is what the consumer sees forty nine dollars right. But if you add $15 of shipping into your pledge level, then it's $64. So the consumer does the the value calculation at $64. Is this $64 of vet worth of value that I'm paying for this product? And funny enough, if it's a $49 product, they're going to say, well, it's only $49. Because we've been conditioned by Amazon and other, other large companies that shipping is either free or whatever. So really... The, the strategy that I want to kind of get across, it's, it's really essential for Kickstarter creators is to delay your shipping charge. 
they will pay for shipping. It's a necessary component. It's a necessary evil. We all understand that you have to pay for shipping. Somebody does. But if you get people to pay at the time of your offer, you're going to make much less. Uh, you're going to get more of those people on the fence to decide that they didn't want to back your project. And then in addition to that, this is a, kind of a pain on the, you know, what we'll talk about eventually, which is, uh, you know, your, your numbers, you are going to get Kickstarter to take its, its 5% out of your shipping charge. So if you charge, you know, I don't know, keep it extremely simple and say $10 for shipping, Kickstarter is going to take 5% out and that's 50 cents a box. And if you had, you know, several thousand backers or, you know, even several hundred backers that, that adds up to a number that you didn't have to spend. If you simply charge shipping in a pledge manager, you're going to, uh, not waste. It's, it's like your, you know, your, your ship has holes in it. It's, it's like a, another hole in your ship that you can plug and not lose money that way. So couple of i don't know maybe i should have what was explained that? that analogy <laughs> <laughs> anyway actually don't you get double dinged because okay so if you charge shipping like say in kick say you choose kickstarter they're going to take their five percent but don't you also get dinged on the pledge manager because your your pledge manager fees based on your sales in the previous uh like kickstarter Yes. So it's, it's like double taxation. So you are going to pay, you know, what, whatever, let's, let's just say you spent $450, you know, just to simply add your shipping charge to your Kickstarter pledge, they will charge you for, you know, their, their fee on your shipping, which is, I, I don't know why they do that, but it is what it is. And then in addition to that, if you use a pledge manager like backer kit, or at the moment, I don't believe game found charges like a, a setup but they they will charge you based on the number of backers you have some combination of the number of backers you have and the value raised in order to take your project on and um so yeah you you can totally get double charged and so um, if you're still not convinced the other reason why you need to charge shipping in the pledge manager is because shipping changes so by the time you're doing the kickstarter and you've you know done your details on shipping and you might have a good shipping price well that those shipping prices can change by the time you actually need to fulfill so by charging later or further down the sort of production cycle you can get a better quote on your shipping and therefore charge people accordingly and then reduce that risk of losing out sort of like your three thousand dollar sea container that becomes thirty thousand dollars yes actually that happened to me that happened with deliverance we we launched over the summer of 2021 and then, I mean, that was, it was like two weeks later that all of the shipping hullabaloo, like the, the peak of shipping happened, you know, it's, which was kind of motivated by, you know, all of the retailers or all the manufacturers trying to get their products in, you know, Hasbro, Mattel, trying to get their stuff in for Christmas time. You know, shipping containers are always a little more expensive in summer because that's when you can basically guarantee that you help. You'll have stock for all your all the stores and whatnot, um, you know, in quarter four, which is when all of these companies actually make all their money when consumers are open minded to to spending crazy ridiculous amounts of money on on stuff. So yeah, we had our shipping containers go from like eight thousand dollars to thirty six thousand uh, dollars. Were were the quotes? We weren't thankfully we weren't ready to ship, but they're still at like fifteen thousand dollars for a container. And that's much more than I expected. I'm going to have to get like six of those. So I'm going to have to charge more in shipping. And I'm thankful that I have a pledge manager that, uh, and, and that I simply estimated the cost of shipping on my campaign. Okay, Andrew, so what that, you need to yeah. do is you need to get all your Kickstarter money, put it into crypto, wait until the price <laughs> is, is high. And then sell and then make your money yes. that way to, oh, account for, to account for the shipping. Isn't crypto uh, falling right now? Uh, falling pretty good? It's the time to buy. So yeah, yeah buy low, sell high. So now is the time to buy. Man, I'll tell you what. I, I do know people that, that have done that where they put their money into an asset. And uh, you know, conversely, I know people who have just you know kind of sat on it in a bank like I'm doing right now, I'm just kind of sitting on it in a, in a bank, using it as needed and whatnot to keep it purely liquid. But the, um, you know, inflation right now is causing people to, you know, basically money is not going as far as it, it did last year. And so I'm basically just, I'm losing money by keeping it in the bank. And I know- Are you earning interest? 
uh, j- like a very nominal rate of interest. But um, but yeah, so it's it's kind of a crazy. You should check on Nick. So you can earn. You can put. I think do- you can put dollars in there and earn and a sizable interest through that. Also a reminder for those who are living in the States and you're doing your taxes because taxes are due soon. If you uh, sell any of your crypto, that is taxable and you must report it on your taxes in America. America <laughs> this year. <laughs> Otherwise you get in trouble. America wants their share now, even yeah. though they, I think they originally said that cryptocurrency isn't real money. Uh, now they just, now they just want your money. Uh, <laughs> but and then more... next month, America will have a digital dollar. <laughs> yeah then you know then they control it then we're in trouble that's the problem with digital currency yeah one, one more thing on the um on the shipping how would you uh how do you present it on like kickstarter or your on on your crowdfunding platform how do you present shipping if you're not charging shipping the first thing you do you always have a shipping chart to show you know the the various regions that you're going to ship to you should have a chart that shows an estimated value that that is going to cost for each pledge level that would have a different level of shipping for me i had the we'll say like the base game the deluxe edition and then the all in edition and each of those had a different shipping charge so what i did was i grouped all of the countries together that had kind of you know were in the same region and i i estimated a shipping charge based on all the numbers that i got from my from my uh, fulfillment partners and vat and whatnot and then i gave an estimated shipping value in the us it was the base game was like nine dollars estimated but you know you have to make sure that people know that these values can change based on, you know, the future, right? I, I knew that I was doing my shipping in 2021, but shipping rates always go up anywhere from five to 10% every year. And, uh, that at the, you know, around the beginning of the year. So the, um, the estimates I knew would possibly, you know, I, I built in a little bit of uh, margin so that the estimates would hopefully be good at this time next year. But in all likelihood, we'll probably have to charge a couple of dollars more just to to make sure that we, um, you know, get as close as we can to break even on shipping. We will probably have to eat a little bit more, you know, from our uh, our margin, if you will, to make it all happen. But yeah, so that that's kind of how we did it. That's how I see a lot of people do it. They they put an estimated number. You can also do like a range where it's like you know. Um, seven to eleven dollars is the range you might use or you know for me it would have been like eight to twelve probably and so that way people aren't you know shocked or anything when you do raise that amount i also think that when the time comes as long as you're communicating you know and your backers know where what it is that you're up to and you're not there's not radio silence or anything you know that is a really important element you want to make sure that you're bringing your backers along with you so that there's really no surprises. It's like, Hey, this is information that I received this month. We're going to have to pay a little bit more in shipping because of X, Y, Z people will generally say, you know, well, that's a bummer, but that's what the market is doing right now. And I support you and that sort of thing. So especially if it's not like 20 bucks more or something like that, you know, um, Isaac Childers of Gloomhaven and Frosthaven fame at Cephalo Fair Games just announced that Frosthaven has an MSRP of $250. Um, they, yeah. So if you went in on the Kickstarter, you bought Frosthaven for at $160, I believe. And um, because of manufacturing getting more expensive and, you know, what they did in development, I guess they added a ton more cards, like 35 more cards and more, you know, various boards of, uh, and other things like that. They, they increase the component quantity of Frosthaven during development and also manufacturing went up. So the MSRP went from 160 to $250. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, retailers bought the game for a hundred and they were, you know, I actually had uh, retail partners that were talking to me about Frosthaven. They said, oh, Frosthaven, they're offering terrible margins right now. You know, it's like $100 or something per game uh, for a retailer, but only $160 for a, a, a Kickstarter backer. They want 50% margins. Well, they got much better than 50% margin if they ended up uh, yeah, backing. But that price point's going to really like, I mean, that's going to that's gonna alienate a lot of people who play board games, you know, because you have your... 
you have like your casual players and then you have sort of like your mid-grade players and then like i, I could see like true true fans who are really into board games would get this or collectors but i'm not seeing like your middle or lower tier players getting this because it's just priced them out well the thing is with Frosthaven, it's um you know you're looking at gloomhaven Frosthaven's really just an extension of gloomhaven because gloomhaven got very popular and it was already a very expensive game. It was a very big game. It's it's. I think Frosthaven is going to be fine because the people that really want to buy Frosthaven, th- there is no price that will push them away. I think that thousand uh, dollars, <laughs> dude. I mean, Kingdom Death Monster players are just or Magic players. It's like thousand dollars. What? That's that's like super inexpensive compared to what I'm going to spend. I I find that true hardcore gamers are the ones attracted to Frosthaven and they expect to buy Frosthaven and be satisfied for like 12 straight months. You know, that's a lot of those people are, are, it's basically like buying an MMO in a box, you know, you're going to play it a long time. So I think that there's really no other game that that fits, if you will, other than Gloomhaven, that, that idea of, of like the MMO in the box and uh, constant surprises. It's like, you know, constantly opening new boxes and figuring out new missions and other things. Um, so I think they'll be fine. But it's just an example of, you know, the estimate and the actual cost, you know, so. So it comes back to this ch- uh, checklist that we're covering. We talked about how the if you charge shipping within the pledge, that cannot be changed and it's sort of baked into the live project. What else is baked into the live project that people need to be careful that they, you know, make sure that there isn't any issues before hitting launch i assume the title is one you probably can't change the title of the project once it's live so you want to make sure there's no typos in that anything else that can't be changed as soon as you go live well you know we were kind of talking about the whole manufacturing shipping stuff i i I think maybe the uh checklist item that i would you know quantify those things in would be know your numbers know your numbers so there's this concept in shark tank which you know, if, if anybody watches Shark Tank that is listening to this, it's a, um, a a show where investors are kind of put in front of cool ideas and a lot of really great products are launched on Shark Tank. It's it's very much, if you're into Kickstarter and- It's like Kickstarter or, for rich people. <laughs> exactly. So it's a very, I've actually, we've actually had clients that have been on Shark Tank and the amount of traffic that they get in a four hour period or two hour period when that shows on, it's just ridiculous. The, I mean, we actually, we had like 180,000 people visit a website for Bambooey, uh, which is one of our, uh, our clients in like two hours. It was, it was just ridiculous. Just trying to keep their website up. We were up like all night, just trying to make sure if their website went down that we had, uh, that we would bring it back up because you stand to make crazy amounts of money just for being on the show and not getting a deal. But most of these companies, they don't show, all of the conversation that they have, most of those consultations, even though it looks like five minutes or 10 minutes, they're about an hour each. And the uh, the investors are asking them all sorts of questions that TV doesn't really care about, like th- about their numbers. You know, how do you know, you, you know, your numbers? And, you know, they want to know how much does it cost to manufacture? How much does it cost to ship? What's, what are you charging? And what is the, uh, and why? And how much money have you made and so on and so forth. So knowing your numbers is extremely important to investors, not because it's a functional purpose. If you don't know your numbers, then how do you know that you're going to be profitable? How, do, how I mean, as a backer, how do I know that you're actually going to deliver, right? So you need to at least give the impression that you know what you're talking about, that you've done research, that you've planned for contingencies and so forth. It gets a lot easier if you are a, high, a very experienced creator that has tons and tons of fulfilled projects, then it's really easy. But that that's something that, you know, you can't really get back. And now there, there are certain things that you can, you, you might be able to change after Kickstarter goes live. However, you won't be able to change the impression that your backers get from reading the page on the first day. You'll never be able to get that opportunity back when you launch on your first day and you have something wrong that is majorly important. That's that's a, a big issue. Um, but yeah, so back back to Sean, your point. You wanted to know what sorts of things can you not change. Um, so you can't change pledge levels. We 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 talked about that. You can't change the title of your game. Um, it's something that you should definitely 
think about like search engine optimization for that. You know, for for myself, I I my game is was called Deliverance, but I called it Deliverance, the game of spiritual warfare or something like that. And I just wanted a little bit more to quantify what this is because Kickstarter will use that title in the in Google's and basically the meta tag, the 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 title on Google will be the title of your project name. Um, your subheading, so like your subtitle, sorry, right below that one, you can't change either. And these are very important things that your that your audience is gonna is gonna read. I believe the uh, it's you know, actually, you it's, image it's, and whatnot. But. It's actually super important because even on Kickstarter on the platform, it's what it's, it's like the only text people can see about your project. So it needs to be engaging. And one thing that we do with clients is before they launch, we usually review their Kickstarter pages, and usually we suggest they change that subheading to the ad text that has been working the best. So it could, mm-hmm. you know, by the end of the, by the time you're launching, we've got a lot of data points on Facebook. We know which ads are getting the best click through, which which yeah. text or which copy is getting the best click through rate. And we often mm-hmm. suggest that that text there is replaced with the ad text or something similar, and it, it captures the same idea behind mm-hmm. it. You know, actually, um, now that I think about it, I think you can change your project's title, but you can't change the URL. So the title, when you when you like launch your your page, the URL is like cemented, um, and that can't be. It's dynamically generated from your title. So uh, it's really when you launch your your um, like notify me on launch page, the um, Kickstarter landing page. That is when your your URL cannot be changed. Yeah, um, speaking of uh, using Facebook ads, <laughs> I shared this earlier with the guys on our on our Slack channel, and there was a Facebook ad that I saw, and I was laughing so hard because I don't know if they were just so smart they decided to try this and it worked, or they just you know, but like their tagline was on so on it was a Facebook ad, and there's a picture of like these little these little characters, and it says and on the picture it says we made this game to pay for student loan. Please try our game. But the funniest thing was the bottom was the, the tagline, which is on the uh, the uh, description of the ad. And it says, ain't the best, but worth a try. <laughs> That's awesome. And it was for a game. I was just laughing so hard. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. I, if if that was like a Reddit post, it could go viral. So maybe, maybe I should yeah. put it up there. Get out of there. <laughs> yeah. So a couple of other really important things, your funding goal. Again, about knowing your numbers. What what is the essential amount that you need to raise? You cannot change that when you go live. And something that I kind of messed up, which was our project deadline, you cannot change that either when you go live. And uh, there's like a setting in there that you can either um, go for a certain number of days or you can end at like a very specific time. And, you know, I actually set it to end at a particular time. I wanted it to end like you know, Thursday or Thursday evening at like 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time or something like that. And I switched this little toggle to like a number of a certain number of days because I just wanted to see, you know, as, as I was kind of crafting my project page and, you know, it was like, all right, 30 days. I, I eventually went with the 30 days, but because I launched at like 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, we went exactly 30 days. And I ended at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time Thursday morning, which was a real bummer because I felt like a lot of people wouldn't, you know, that maybe they would miss. It was like 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time that, that we would end. And I felt like a lot of people would miss the very end of the campaign on the final day. And, and I thought that was a little bit of an opportunity lost. Thankfully, you know, we, I just, I remember going to bed thinking, oh, we need like, to to unlock our final stretch goal. I'm not sure if we can do that. And then all of our, you know, European backers that got up real early, they just hustled. And then the U S backers got up real early in the morning and then pushed us well past the, our final goal. I think we ended up like $10,000 over the final funding goal, but yeah, it was, it was kind of a bummer because I had to get up really early on the final day instead of having time to prepare I had to just get up early and roll with the punches in the la- at the last moments. Um, I would have liked to have a little more time to edit my project page because you know after your project ends, you can no longer edit your project story. 
So if you wanted to, you know, send people to your website or tell people, you know, give, give some information, edit like a, an image at the very top that gives some really essential information. You know, I, I actually didn't have time to do that by the time my project ended. So one other thing, I know this is weird, but we, um, so I put my corporation for next level web, which is our, you know, our, my corporation is called California web options incorporated. And uh, that was the uh, EIN number because we had a tax ID number. I needed a corporation. I didn't have Lowen Games was getting, you know, its its details and whatnot, but I needed to give kind of that payment tab information. I um and I had my next year, you know, next level web's information memorized. So I just dropped that in real quick and and the the bank account was the correct account and, and every, everything like that. But actually when I launched, I wasn't able to change it to loan games. So I have to do some uh, tax uh, kind of uh, jumping through hoops so that, uh, I mean, today is tax day for corporations, I think, or yeah, I think it was either yesterday or today. I got an extension, but, um, but the, the idea is that I have to explain to maybe an IRS agent why $300,000 was randomly deposited in my account by Kickstarter. And, uh, and I'm going to say, oh, that's not mine. That's low, you know, a different company. It just adds a little bit more complexity to my life this year. But it's, you know, with my, my, my tax professionals, it's, it's possible uh, and won't be too much problem. But that's something you can't edit. So make sure that you have your, I, I really wish I would have gone just a little bit earlier and, or, you know, got my EIN for low end games LLC so that I wouldn't have to do these jump through these hoops. Um, so let's see, I think uh, those are some of like the basic essentials that are probably on the more boring side, but, but they're important because yeah. if you get wrong, you can ruin your campaign and then you yes. have to relaunch, which is yes. a kick in the face. Yeah, it's called Kickstarter, not Kickfacer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another thing is to send out your, we're now live on Kickstarter email. Uh, you know, often backers, I think they get they get so focused on hitting that launch button that they forget to then send out their email, which notifies their entire email list that they're live. And you might think, oh, I never forget that, but you probably will because you're so frantic, so and it's you know it's such a frenzy before the launch. I often have to remind creators, hey, make sure to send out your email because it's been like 15 minutes and you still haven't sent it out, and. Um, that usually it's sent out soon after that, but it's really important. And what's also important is that you track those conversions. Once you've launched a project, you can create a referral code, create a referral code, stick that into your email, then send it out. So you can actually see how many people backed. You can also use the preview link, which will create um, a referral code. You can actually get a referral codes before you launch because the bad commerce because of the Zodiac did this. But they knew someone inside Kickstarter. So if you're able, if you really want referral codes before you launch, and it's a big project like uh, Bad Commerce, Chris of the Zodiac, you can reach out to someone in Kickstarter and then they have to manually create them. But it is possible. So if you have a big campaign and you want referral codes before you launch, make sure to reach someone out, reach someone on Kickstarter and get that ball rolling. That was an awesome thing to, to learn. It's actually, actually the first time that we've ever done that, created referral codes because that was one of the big advantages GameFound has over Kickstarter is that they will allow you to, you know, as a user create referral codes, but Kickstarter doesn't. And uh, they just have to manually do that. I'm sure that that's going to be a thing that Kickstarter does eventually, but there are so many things that they want to do that, you know, the programmers are backed up with a million tasks, so they have to prioritize. So don't know why they're prioritizing blockchain, but uh, you know, well, I guess that's a discussion for another time. So, all right. So, yeah, there. Uh, as as I kind of mentioned before, there are things that you can change after you hit the launch notification or had to hit the launch button. But you you only get one. You don't get a second chance at a first impression, as the saying goes. So, one of the things is, you know, the the the. I guess the speed with which you fund is based on how you mobilize your crowd and how quickly you mobilize your crowd. So one time, you know, we always try to get people to fund on the first day, because if you do that, then everybody else that sees you is going to see a funded campaign and 
you know, we've talked about this in previous podcasts, but it, you know, the, the Kickstarter consumer, they, they have this, you know, kind of a mental checklist that they go through. Number one, is this project funded? If it is, then it's a winner and I should investigate further. If it's not, maybe I'll wait till it's funded or, you know, follow because it's, it's, you know, that it's not going to knock down a bunch of stretch goals and, and that kind of thing. So that, you know, on your launch day, that's, you know, really your first 48 hours and your last 48 hours, that's when you're going to find most people are going to discover you, right? So the launch notifications, like as you mentioned, Sean, the um, welcome email, you absolutely want to queue up those launch notifications right away and be prepared to send them out early. Finish the email and just have it ready so that you can hit the send button on your email. Uh, this same rings true for your Facebook group, for your Discord, even for your ads, you know, your your Facebook ads or whatever you're going to mm-hmm. run. You should have all of that kind of prepared and ready to go so that all you need is to punch in the right referral codes and you can send that information out. I think that that's very important because, you know, we've had cases where creators that are really great creators that have had multiple projects successful, they have launched their project. And, you know, just because I I feel like it's not funding that fast. I'm like, what's going on? You know? And I ask them like, have you sent your email out? And they're like, oh yeah, I, ha- I haven't, I haven't done that. It's like, well, that's like so important. What did we work the last three months for to acquire a giant email list and a Facebook group and whatnot? It's, and none of those people know. So um, yeah, and, what, and one, of those, one of the things is that a lot of the people are, are potential clients or people who want to be our clients do is they they start without doing these things and then they come to us after the first couple of days of launch, first week of launch, like, um, I'm not getting the traffic and the sales I want. I need you to fix it. And by then it's sort of like a little yeah. too late. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's never fun to deliver bad news, but I'll say that, you know, it, which are bad news that we often have to deliver is that your project is not going to succeed in the in the manner that they in originally envisioned it, and they'll have to cancel and relaunch. Uh, but you can do this in a very smart way. I think we talked about how to cancel and relaunch in a previous podcast. I forget, but but basically the short version is that you know everybody is watching you, all of your backers and the people who are following, and you know even after the project, there will be others that ask about it and want information. They're going to be looking at what it is that you do. And it's really an opportunity to show your quality. So if if something doesn't go right, you know, as as we mentioned earlier, we had a client that canceled their, we've actually had two clients that canceled their project in the last month. One of them because like the war in Ukraine basically caused, um, you know, there were a lot of people that felt like the game, I guess, was too close to the the war and they, they just um, want, needed to cancel because of, uh, I, anyway, I don't want to get like, too too into it but they they canceled they they made a choice to cancel and then the other the other person kind of you know messed up logistically on their uh kickstarters pledge uh tiers and had to cancel and then relaunch the the way that you do that it should be with explanations so that your backers and your prospective backers kind of understand why you're making the choices that you are. There's one uh, company that I can think of that did this when I was just kind of following along. I believe the game is called Bloodstone and the company was um, uh, Skybound Entertainment, Skybound Games. They uh, So James Hudson had this really cool game. It's like an arena combat game and it funded on the first day, but it didn't really fund as much as they expected. You know, there's the the arbitrary, you know, for companies like this, the arbitrary funding goal, which they know they're going to smash through in like the first 10 minutes of the campaign. And then the real funding goal, which might be like over a million dollars. And this campaign was not reaching, you know, the, the, the amount that they felt that they needed in order to unlock all of those cool miniatures and everything like that. And so they canceled the campaign, even though it was funded, very well funded. It's like well over $200,000 funded. And they explained why, you know, they went through and kind of explained, you know, hey, the the project is, you know, we had all these ideas. We felt like we didn't properly communicate the, the awesomeness of this project to our backers. We're going to relaunch in the future after kind of reevaluating, you know, where we went wrong and what we could do better. And their backers while annoyed that they canceled understood and 
I'm sure, absolutely sure, will be with them when they relaunch, and they'll be even more excited. And the story is is one that a backer can tell a prospective backer instead, you know, which is uh, excellent for communication and all of that. And also one of the great things about it is that they're not being charged until after it goes through anyway. So it's like, you know, there's no like refunds or, you know, purchases and refunds. There's no, that that's a, you know, that could be a really uh, morale killer when you uh, have to refund everything and then also pay fees on top of that for refunding. So, uh, and, and then of course, you know, on the, uh, on the buyer side where they pay for something and then they have to like, wait to get it back. And yeah, yeah. so this, this is, that's what one of the things I like is that it doesn't take the money till the end. So of course, if you do have to cancel, then, you know, there's no, financial, right. there's, there's uh, no logistical headache to get everybody their money back. Yeah. So now there's other, one other thing that I really thought would be worthwhile to talk about, which is kind of goes back to the consumer behavior on Kickstarter um, it's a definitely a checklist item. In fact, it's one of the things that we commonly, you know, most commonly will talk to our clients about before they launch to try to make sure that they don't make this mistake is they, you know, when you design your Kickstarter page, you should be familiar with the behavior of, of Kickstarter users or game found users. And I, I, I just, we use Kickstarter a lot because game found users are generally also Kickstarter users and the people that navigate on GameFound are going to have similar patterns to people that navigate on Kickstarter. So the question that we want to answer is how do you organize your Kickstarter pages? It's, you know, without getting really into detail, I believe we we did uh, talk about this in a, in a past podcast about how you would lay out your Kickstarter page, but it needs to be laid out clearly. And I think that, you know, just large titles above every major section that you, you don't want to like, you don't want to say um, components, you know, you, you might say something a little bit more entertaining and engaging than that, that would give them a reason to look into that little section. Because as just like people on websites will look and kind of scan the page instead of reading everything that you wrote, they're going to look for headlines and decide, oh, you know, does that headline indicate a section that I have interest in? And if the answer is no, they're going to skip the whole section and then go to the next headline and look at that one. So you want your headlines to be large and grab the attention of, of your Kickstarter backers. And then you want to make sure you organize your Kickstarter page so that it has the thing that they care about first at the top, the thing they care about next, right after that, and so on and so forth. Uh, yeah, I think another thing when it comes to the layout is to ensure that the text is readable on mobile devices. So a lot of times people put text within images and they look great on desktop, but as soon as you get them on a mobile device, they're far too small and you can't read it. So always, that's another thing to do in the checklist. Make Always check your Kickstarter page on a mobile device before you launch. Make sure that it can it's clear, people can read it and understand it. Yeah, you're gonna have uh, people going to your Kickstarter page on a mobile device uh, far more often than they go on a desktop or laptop or iPad. That is something that we even applies to images by themselves without text. So uh, we had recently um, the Tabletop Find It book was a project that launched successfully funded. And it was a, a kind of a cool project. And I was like, where's Waldo for tabletop books or I spy for tabletop books or uh, for tabletop gamers. And they had this image of the book itself, which looked great on desktop but was very small on mobile. And if, and what I told them to do is just make the, make sure that the image is, you know, full width of your, your Kickstarter story, which is like 680 pixels wide. Right. And um, that made it massive on mobile. Like it, the, the, the image of the book was filled up like an entire screen on a, on a cell phone, which is quite large. Right. But it, that's the product though. That's, it's, it was a good thing that, that it filled up the, the entire page. It's, you know, you want, you don't want people to feel like they have to pinch and zoom your, you know, on your Kickstarter page to find stuff. But I think that, you know, when you, when it comes to demonstrating your product, images, GIFs, and, you know, various videos and other things like that are of course key. Don't be afraid to make your images large and don't be afraid to make your text large. Just make sure it doesn't look extremely busy, I guess. You know, images and text, you know, you can 
really just cram a lot into a very short, a very compact space. If you're using like, if you're using Photoshop, right? If there's large chunks of text, make sure to highlight certain words so people can skim read because you can't assume that people are going to want to read large chunks of te text. They usually want to get an idea that this looks interesting, I'll back. So mm -hmm. when you're designing your page, make sure that it's skim readable as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then to add to that, uh, make sure you have a variety of graphics, text, combinations, things like that. That way it's easy on the people's eyes when they are skimming through or reading it. Um, you know, you don't want all your pictures in one spot and then all of your text in one spot. Right. You want to make, make sure you paragraph. And make it, make it. Yeah, it also makes your paragraph short. Uh, but yeah, you want to make it so people can easily read it if they have to, but also, you know, make it eye candy, you know, make it so like they, they have things to do and instead of just read text and, you know, mm -hmm. then a block of pictures and then, you know, make it make it fun for them to explore your product. Right. You know, the, the, the whole goal of designing an attractive Kickstarter page is to, of course, show off your product and, in, you know, get people interested in it. But you also want to get them at, at a base level to just simply absorb information that, you, you know, you have the, the concept of the crocodile brain where people process the most basic information, like, should I run from it? Should I kill it? Should I eat it? You know, and the, um, the idea is that you want them to say, should I read it? Right. And, you know, if, of course, if you have an attractive headline, a good looking image, you know, you'll get them to read that section. But in order to get them to actually absorb information through the crocodile brain and into the rational part of the brain that thinks and processes, you need to make sure that your bold terms are, are you know, the, the, the sections of your paragraph that you put in bold are very important and convey an idea on their own. I see so many people misusing bold just for things that they, that they shouldn't really be emphasizing. You know, it's like, um, they, it's like, I, I don't know. It's almost like people use bold in a manner that they would use conversationally. You know, if they were talking to a friend about it, it's like, Oh yeah, this game has over 55 components or whatever. It's like, you know, the word components is highlighted. It's like, why is like, that's, great. Now tell me, you know, how many players it, it supports. Tell me if it's cooperative, tell me what are the major mechanics of the game. But, you know, I, I know the game has components and you didn't need to bold that, that phrase, you know, so that that's just a key that I think a lot of people tend to get wrong. And another key is a reference. So find other Kickstarter pages that just look good, that funded well, that are similar or in the same sort of niche that your game is in and mimic because obviously they were successful for a reason. And so look at their layouts, look at how they've designed things and just use that as a reference and have several reference points when crafting your own campaign. How'd you for de deliverance? Did you have any pages that you referenced that you I did, still ideas for, for your campaign? Yeah. So I, I looked at games of a similar nature. I looked at, uh, the various zombie side, uh, projects by uh, Simon. I looked at Gloomhaven second edition or second printing. I looked at uh, swords and sorcery um, Kickstarters that they've done. I looked at, um, gosh, there were, there were others. Chronicles of crime was actually a really cool one. Um, the millennium series Chronicles of crime millennium series uh, launched. And I just thought their page was like really very, very impressive. Portal games does a great job with pages, but you know, some in some games, like I'll give an example. Um, Far Off Games uh, produced Aridia, and th that's a game that I just went all in because it looked awesome. But I was very impressed at the way that they laid out their page. It, it actually was very different from mine, and it was great for that game. What they did was they talked about how to play before you learned anything about what was in the box or the prices or the pledge levels or things like that. And they went greatly into detail about how the combat system works and everything. And I found myself reading the entire thing. It was a very well organized page um, that just explained what it was and made me want to get into it, you know? So that's just a couple of examples. Yeah. You also want to be, make sure you, you get a, like I said, a large sample of, of, of these Kickstarter sites because some Kickstarter uh, projects actually make money even if they have a bad sales page because of who they are. 
In fact, uh, uh, Brandon Sanderson. I knew you. Yes. Let's talk about this. <laughs> We're going to write four mystery novels. Look, I've just raised $28 million and yeah. I still have 16 days to go. Yeah. Um, I think, I believe he's in the top, 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 top ever on Kickstarter, right? Is that, is that where he's at now? That is correct. Yeah. So. Yeah, and he won't even tell you what the, what's what's in them. But he he told he uh, told people that it's in the Cosmere universe, which is the um, the Stormlight Archive is the kind of the core set of books there. Very very fun, really fun. Set so of what books. happens if you just shipped out blank pages? Like, what can people do? Like, you got what you paid for. You want a yeah. mystery? Or he has like you can literally. So, just, I mean, he said they would be like four hundred pages, but he didn't say what size the font pages. would be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you said to go big, go big yeah. or go home. Big font. Yeah, you know, actually, that it kind of, in a way, really bends some of Kickstarter's rules because they need you to have like they need to be able to demonstrate your product and that kind of thing. And it was basically just text on a page. It was like a GoFundMe campaign, you know. And uh, it it had a, it had a video, but it was quite bare. You know, it's it's like when you know in SEO marketing when people say, oh well, I want to do it like Amazon.com does it for my small business or whatever. It's like, no, you should not mimic amazon.com because they do it terribly. They just have, you know, I mean, they make $500 billion a year. So they, they uh, get kind of some special uh, we'll say special privileges with Google, you know? Now, um, one of the things though, that I really like that he does that I haven't really seen yet in um, at least I haven't seen yet in other um, Kickstarter campaigns is he's got swag boxes. Wouldn't that be cool, like to like you know invest in a game? Like let's say some you know you buy a game for like a hundred something dollars, and then like every quarter while you're waiting for the game, you get something really cool sent to you. I mean that's probably a logistics mailing nightmare, but I thought that's pretty cool. He's offering swag boxes. Yeah, I think that that's it's a very fun campaign. It's uh, really well run, and I think beyond all else, it shows the power of the um, of just commanding your own audience. I think that, you know, people will look at this Brandon Sanderson campaign and say, oh, well, that's just massive. I could never do that. Right. It is the number one funded, most funded project on Kickstarter. And yeah, you could not do that today. You know, it's but it doesn't mean that you can't take valuable lessons from that campaign and improve your future outlook. I think that, you know, it's it's a big mistake to just discount what it is that people or that Brandon Sanderson has done. And just say that, oh, that doesn't apply to me. He made too much money. It's like, well, there's a reason that he made money. And that basically comes down to the the very, very basics. The things that we always preach, like have a great product. He has an excellent product. He, you know, and he's had many years of excellent products. And what he's done during that time is he has developed an audience, a hardcore fan base that he can talk to via his email marketing, his Facebook groups. He has these, he has won the right to communicate with his audience across many, many sources. And many times you have like an author, like for example, JK Rowling, who created Harry Potter. The only place that she can talk is on Twitter and she gets herself in trouble a lot. She does not have an, you know, a hardcore fan base. Like she could not do the same thing. If she brought a Harry Potter book to Kickstarter, it would, I'm sure, obviously, I'm sure it would do very well, but she just does not have the the email list that Brandon Sanderson has. One other thing I wanted to mention is the risks and rewards section, because this is different for new creators or veterans. You need to have something in your risks and rewards section because when, you know, if you're a new creator, it's even more important. If you're a veteran that has delivered multiple projects, you can say, this is my seventh project. We've got this, right? And then you can talk about, you know, there are delays that could come up in manufacturing or in shipping and blah, blah, right? But if you're a new creator, you have to kind of make a case that you're prepared to do this to me. So don't discount that risks and rewards section because if I'm really interested in your project, I think the pledge levels are okay. You know, I I look first thing I do is I'm going to look at, you know, the product to see if I like it. Um, I scroll to the gifts to see if the gameplay looks fun. I make sure the pledge levels are uh, decent and not, you know, are within my price range. Right. And, you know, for what I feel the value is. And then I'm going to go to your shipping chart and then I'm going to go to your risks and rewards section. And if it's like, 
you know, I've never done this before, but I don't foresee any problems or any delays. It's like, I don't know that this person can actually deliver this, you know? So just keep that in mind as well as like a final (laughs) checklist point. Risk, you pay and get nothing. Reward, you might get my game. And that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. So if you want to fail, don't listen to our podcast. But if you don't want to not fail, is that double negative? Uh, Listen to our podcast. Uh, We're on every single major podcast carrier. Just find it on Apple, Google, et cetera, et cetera. Like us if you can. Put us five stars if you can. Give us a nice comment if you can. And also visit our crazy, crazy cool uh, community on Facebook. Uh, The Crowdfunding Nerds community. Is that what we're calling it these days? That's right. Crowdfunding Nerds community. If you don't want to not fail, then join us there. Yeah, and you'll find some really weird questions and good stuff too. Like, uh, I think Andrew asked a really weird question just uh, earlier today. What was the, what was the, what did you post on there earlier today? Oh, we talked about early birds and how they're stupid and terrible, and you should never do them. There uh, you go. So if you want to know about early birds, with me, it's and we're having fun. <laughs> early bird does not catch the worm. The early bird uh, gets tired easily. Just a warning: not all the yeah. advice that you get there is authorized by us. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes people are smarter than us and they, you know, they, they let us know. And it's like, Oh, that's a great idea. No, there's some very, really, really active people in that group and you get some really good answers and you get some really good questions. And uh, there are some things that we argue about. I mean, it's what it is. Um, You know, cause some of it is stuff that we've never done before. And you know, some things we have done and people say otherwise, but (laughs) (laughs) it is what it is. So head over there. If you can at Facebook uh, crowdfunding nerds community, And we will see you all next week and stay nerdy.